Hey everyone, welcome to Way of Life podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life podcast. Well, welcome everyone to another Way of Life podcast, whether you're in person or online, welcome. Um, so if you're visiting in person uh, for the first time to Wyndham Baptist and you're kind of like, this is a really weird church service, you're right, it is a weird church service. No, we, we do this once a month um, at the night service uh, as a way to kind of search truth, search ideas as Christians, um, to, be a, to be able to a better understand different things and be able to have conversations with other people about it. Um, so what I do encourage uh, each time is that we wrestle with these different ideas. If you don't end up on the same page as the speaker or even myself, that's fine. Um, we just love to come with a bit of humility to, uh, to, to wrestle with these different things and see where we do sit on it. Um, so tonight we've got a really special guest, um, Frank Studman. Um, so Frank, I met him in uh, Canberra. At uh, He's another speaker on the podcast that we've gotten from the Australian Christian Lobby's The Download, um, which is kind of like a... Um, uh, a conference for 18 to kind of 25-ish or up to 30-year-olds, I think, um, uh, which goes two times a year. So I got chatting to him down there, really liked his stuff. I'm going to let him in- introduce himself a little bit, but he, at the conference, he did a lot on science. He was, he was the science and uh, questions and apologetics kind of guy that we had on the uh, uh, at the conference, but Frank, it's uh, good to have you. Um, thanks Thank for you. being on the podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. Um, wondered if you could tell us a little bit about kind of what are your interests are. What do you What do you do? Uh, what do you specialize in? That type of thing. Sure. Sure. I um, I've been a physicist all my life. Um, I ended up associate professor of physics at Western Sydney University, which is on the outskirts of Sydney. Um, my background, apart from my science, is I was converted at the age of 18. I didn't come from a Christian home. Uh, I was asked by someone whether I might read the Bible, and I thought, well, that's a good idea. And, uh, you know, an intelligent person should at least be conversant with the Bible because it's so central to Western culture. And so I read it, and through reading it, I really, yeah, I thought, yeah, this is amazing. You know, mm. this Jesus person is amazing. So um, I decided to uh, follow him, and that's where I've been all my life. That's really, really cool. So um, you've been a physicist, like a phys- sorry, background uh, most of your life, you've said. And um, so I guess how did that affect your kind of faith walk and in, in being able to research that whilst being a Christian? 
Yeah, I certainly don't see um, a, a tension between science and, and Christianity. Uh, for me, I think as I've learnt about the universe that I actually live in, um, the more I understand, the more I see the relationships of things, the more I see what I seem to be as design, um, as structure and function and information. Uh, as I look at all these things in the universe, for me, it has enhanced my uh, my uh, Christianity, in fact. Uh, yeah. It's enhanced my view of who this God is. Mm. So you have you, yeah, I guess that was one of my questions I was hoping to get to. Do you think, because do you think science and kind of faith in God can, like, are they butting heads? Are they opposed to each other? Because often people will, um, particularly those who aren't Christians or haven't had a lot to do with uh, the Christian faith, they kind of think that um, Christianity has kind of disproved, I mean, sorry, science has disproved Christianity. So uh, I wondered if you might be able to kind of explore that a bit. Are they, are they opposed to each other or...? No, I, I don't see that opposition. I know that that is not uncommon, I, that people have that view, but I don't see that opposition. Um, for me, uh, you have a book of nature and you have a book of revelation. Hmm. And um, if you want to know things about atoms and quantum mechanics, you can't find that in the Bible. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you want to know how to live well and to... Uh, uh, you know, live with human flourishing, then you're going to find that in science. So I think there's a real overlap between them. And for me, it, there's a continuity. I don't see them in opposition. Mm. Uh, there may be disagreement from time to time. There may be differentiation from time to time. But the reality is I don't see the opposition that so often is claimed between science and Christianity. I, I, and, and I'm happy to defend that, obviously. I don't just make that statement. Mm. Uh, it just seems to me that uh, the universe I, that we speak, that we live in, uh, asks always the big questions. So, I mean, it's true that, that physics is about um, pulling things apart and understanding how things work together, mm. okay? Just like you might do a clock. You might pull that apart and say, okay, this gear wheel does this, this gear wheel does that, this spring does this. You can do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's science and that's physics as well. But the real question is not just simply about um, the uh, reducing it. The real question is why? Why that gear wheel? Why this relationship? Why these instruments? And so there's a value adding to the clock, which is not actually discoverable in the clock. Uh, you can't work out who made it. You can't uh, work out what kind of clothes they wear. You don't know what kind of car they drive. You don't know where they live. Yeah. Uh, and that was, but there is something about the clock which is value-added in its function. Mm. And I think it's the same kind of thing as I look at the universe. Um, I need, I see these things and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, these things may have well good reason. And, of course, there I bring in a different aspect, and that is a revelation from God, because uh, I do see that that's an important part of it. Yeah, so you're saying in a way that it, uh, maybe science gives you the, the how or like how it works, but then yeah. Christianity kind of adds a lot of the why, which you can't necessarily get sheerly from science or creation. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. You... you... 
you know, I mean, the universe is rational. That is, it's reasonable. Mm. It's mathematical. Uh, I do enjoy mathematics very much. And, and uh, uh, it's, it's many aspects of the physical universe can be converted into mathematical equations and they operate just very well. And so the question that immediately comes, why is the universe rational? Uh, why do we have the kind of shaping the form of the universe that we see, uh, the functions, the the uh, uh, relationships between the parts, the mm. laws? Uh, there are so many aspects of the universe that science cannot explain. It uses it. I mean, we as scientists actually use all those things to be true. We believe in a universe which is reasonable so we can investigate it. Yeah. But the real question then comes down, it's a metaphysical question, a question beyond physics, uh, which is, well, why is it so? Why is it like that? Yeah. Uh, and to me, as a physicist, I think if you're interested in fundamentals, you must also go there and try and answer those questions as well. Yeah, absolutely. Answering the why behind the what. I think that's really, yeah. really important. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. have you found uh, some of your kind of, uh, kind of the biggest, uh, I guess, proofs for the existence of God within science or the most compelling type of things that you've seen? Like some people say the fine tuning of the earth or, I mean, of the universe. Um, but what, what's been some of the most interesting stuff you've found that you kind of went, wow, like that's got to be God. I think it's very important to start this um, by saying that science doesn't prove the existence of God. Mm. Science neither proves nor disproves the existence of God. And that's not really what science is doing. Mm. That doesn't mean that, that science doesn't raise um, questions by inference which are beyond science. So I might understand something about the universe, about the amazing universe that I live in, and I think it reasonable to infer that other question, which is why is it so? Mm. So that's an important point, actually, because yeah, good. the Bible doesn't prove the existence of God either. It starts with, in the beginning, God. It just starts there. Um, yeah. The Bible's not trying to prove the existence of God either. So the, the bottom line is that science is not doing that. What I can do as a scientist is argue from the relationships and from the com complex things that I see, mm. that um, uh, it is not unreasonable to believe that there is something beyond, something behind all of this. Yeah. That's not unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. Because that doesn't complete the picture. That's only the beginning of the picture. Yeah. Uh, you want to know who this God is. Well, then, of course, we have a continued discussion then yep. in terms of this God's existence yep. and self-revelation. Mm. And then that opens up a whole new dimension, if you like, of discussion. Yeah, that's really good. So I guess... I wanted to go down the, the line then of like, is there anything, I guess, I'll go back to the same kind of question, given uh, that you, you've, you've put the two, of course, they, that makes sense, but is there anything that's really uh, stood out to you that um, kind of has, science is complemented in uh, your Christian faith? Yeah, yeah, no, I think there are many things. Um, uh, the very existence of the universe and its uh, laws and its rationality but 
Recently, lots of people have made a lot of fine-tuning. The idea, in fact, that the universe um, that we live in seems to be tuned for the life, for our existence, in mm. fact, we exist. And what's remarkable there is just imagine, and uh, your listeners as well, just imagine you're made up of complex molecules and biological pathways. In fact, that's what makes you up, makes you the person you are, and that's true of other animals as well. But what is remarkable is here we are sitting, talking about the universe, which are other molecules and other atoms, and what is amazing about being human is that we can comprehend the universe, that we can actually understand it, that we can talk about it, one set of atoms looking at another set of atoms and making sense of them. That's quite, kind of remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the reasons that um, uh, it, 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 it brings out that other dimension. It's not only the form of the universe and how it's actually rational and has uh, function and has structure and has information. Uh, it has uh, fine-tuning, but there's also that aspect of being human, that we are looking at that universe and trying to figure it out mm. and trying to understand it. And that's both of those things are remarkable, and they both point for me beyond themselves to the possibility of considering once again the possibility that there is a God who has revealed himself. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. I've never even thought about the whole mm. idea of a created being like kind of <laughs> contemplating its own creation. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty right. cool thing. Um, that is a good thing. Yeah. I wanted to switch switch a little bit uh, on this tack, but when I heard you at the download, and I'm not going to try and put you in a box, I want you to explain yeah. it for yourself, yeah. but you, you yeah. uh, there's a there's quite a spectrum in within uh, Chris, I guess the Christian faith uh, with regards to how old we think the earth is and how long ago God, uh, God created it. And I gather that you're kind of on the, it's a very old kind of universe yeah. side of that. Yeah. I wondered if you could explain a little bit of your, uh, your stance there with creation or what you believe about how old it is and how it came to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all of us uh, need to think about what is true, you know, what is factually true. And so in science also, because of measurement, uh, certain things have come to light, which, which um, seem to suggest that the earth is old. Um, and, and there are two main lines of evidence that relatively straightforward to understand. Uh, one of them is that the universe uh, is expanding. So it must have had a beginning at some stage, and I presume, therefore, the Earth has had a beginning at some stage as well. Mm. And, and so that's one line of evidence that suggests uh, that things have, have had a beginning, and that that beginning was a long time ago, something like 13 billion years ago. A long time. Uh, the Earth isn't that old, um, but, the, but that's certainly, you know, one line of evidence. The other line of evidence is actually on the Earth itself, uh, and that is that... Um, when you look at radioactive decay uh, of um, uh, rare earth metals, for instance, or uranium, uh, there's a rate at which it decays. And if you look at that rate, um, 
it tells you that the earth is old. And how does it do that? Well, because there are actually only four radioactive series. And that's hard to explain without lots of diagrams and, and, <laughs> and why that's exactly so. But ultimately, for those listeners who know something about alpha particle decay or helium decay, there are only four series because of modulo four arithmetic. So if that makes no sense to you, I'm sorry. But for those of you, <laughs> it does make sense. Uh, it's modulo four arithmetic. Yeah. And so therefore, there are only four, four radioactive series possible. And it turns out the radioactive series with the shortest half-life of two and a half million years um, is no longer naturally occurring. And that suggests that the Earth is some, some uh, maybe you know, tens of millions of years old at least. Mm. Now, um, further evidence, people look for something much older than that. But my point is that, that the idea of something that is young uh, of the order of 10,000 years is hard to sustain mm. uh, when you make measurements um, I know that people have tried to say, well, the rate constant is continually changing. Uh, there is no evidence that that is the case, uh, other than presupposition that, in fact, it must have been around 10,000 uh, years old. That's the only way you're going to get to a rate constant change of uh, enormous uh, uh, proportion. So, okay, so here, here, here I am. Uh, I'm a Christian because it's true. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Yep. Uh, you know, I believe in his work. And yet at the same time, I'm also confronted with truth from nature. Mm. So the real issue for me as a scientist then is to look at that overlap. And that's particularly true in the first few chapters of Genesis. That's often where the debate is in yeah. fact. Right, it's not actually anywhere else because the two the two actually complement each other, uh, you know, in in some way, and yeah. there's a continuity. It's often in that overlap that people have this argument, yeah. and where we find people who uh, will be adamant that it was six thousand years ago that Adam and Eve were created, will be adamant that the Earth is ten thousand years old. Mm. And there will be other uh, Christians who will say, "Well, yeah, but the measurement doesn't show that." Okay. Mm. Okay. So where do we go from here? Because that's that's obviously a point of tension. Mm. We have to start then by thinking about well, what is the Bible actually saying? Uh, what is the uh, uh, the aim of Genesis? Uh, what type of literature is it? Mm. Uh, there are those kind of issues. There are also issues like. Um, uh, uh, is it possible to compare science with the book of Genesis and in what way, what way do they resonate with one another? Mm. So that would be where I would be going. So um, I would not be looking for specific facts, which some of my brothers and sisters do. What I would be looking for is the resonance because many people don't realise that of all the ancient literature, and I'm talking about Egyptian, Mesopotamian, Canaanite, Babylonian, that mm. culture where they where they ancient Hebrews lived. Yeah. Um, of all the ancient cultures, the Bible is the closest and resonates best with with science uh, when compared to any other 
ancient literature. So when, when we look at uh, Genesis, what we see is a resonance. It's not science per se, but there's a resonance, and that's exciting. So it talks about a beginning. Well, that's exactly what we believe in science. Yep. Um, you know, uh, creation took place in time. Uh, well, that's exactly uh, what, what we see in Scripture. Um, and so often we talk about evolution. We talk about things changing in time in science. Well, we see that resonates, okay? Yeah. Uh, it talks about such things as land and sea and separation, and we know there are things like plate tectonics. And, you know, there's a whole range of these things which cause resonances which I find exciting. And so for me, it's not about uh, converting Genesis into science, but in the remarkable resonance it has with what can be measured, I guess that's where I am. Yeah, that's really cool. So how would you kind of wrestle with, um, I guess I have my own thoughts of this, but I thought I'd ask the question anyway, but in terms of Genesis, when it talks about um, like seven day creation, um, how would you, how do you kind of see that as, um, is it actually 24 hour days or is that, is, was it used as a, like a time period type thing or where, where do you sit there? Well, the problem you have if you uh, want to, well, the problem you have is, first of all, let's define day. Yeah. All right? <laughs> um, so uh, if you go to verse 5 uh, in the first chapter of Genesis, you'll see that God calls light day and he calls, and therefore a night, he, he, he calls uh, darkness, he calls night. Yeah. So when we start talking about it being exactly six days, we, we tend to think immediately of 24-hour periods because that's what we're used to. Mm. And yet the Bible actually begins by defining what day is. It begins there. And so before the rest of the text, it talks about day being light. And so for us to insist on it being 24 hours seems to me uh, an unnecessary assumption, in fact. Yeah. The idea is that God created in the light. That's it. And the interesting thing is that the seventh day is actually never completed because we are in his light. And so um, that's a, to me, if you want to have scripture, uh, um, scripture interpreting scripture, which is an important hermeneutic principle, yeah. uh, it seems to me already that if you allow day to be defined as light in the beginning of verse 5, mm. that the interpretation is looser than you might imagine. But there are other things that you've got to think about. First and secondly, the sun, which which gives us uh, our light, uh, for which we now have our twenty four hour periods. Yeah. Um, the sun's not created until the fourth day. Mm. The sun That's is true. diminished in its importance, uh, largely, I think, because it's competing against the Egyptian sun god Ra. For instance, uh, here we see the sun and the moon are merely uh, things that God has created. Yeah. Okay. So that's the other sort of thing that you've got to think about. Um, so, and the third thing that you've got to think about is the kind of literature. It, it, even if you believe that uh, this is exactly how it happened, this is literal in that, it's a literalistic in that sense. Yeah. 
you've still got to acknowledge that the verses themselves are not simple prose. They're not simply a statement of facts. Mm. There's a there are there's a profundity in it. Uh, something which John Dixon has pointed out actually. If you go to his, uh, you can find it on the web. Uh, his interpretation of Genesis, for instance, the first Hebrew sentence has got exactly seven words in it. Mm. The second Hebrew sentence has got exactly fourteen Hebrew words in it. The word uh, uh, the uh, number thirty, number seven, and the number thirty-five, which is a multiple of seven, all of those things are woven into into uh, that particular text. Yeah, and so. In order to say, well, look, this is just straight science, which is what some people want to do and say, well, this is science, I, that is, they make it their scientific knowledge. Mm. Well, if you make that your scientific knowledge, then it begins to contest measurement, and I'm beginning to wonder whether that's actually where, uh, that whether that's necessary or not. Yeah. I guess that's my point. Yeah. Do you think there's a sense then, I'm kind of gathering a, it's a little bit of what you're saying, but is there a sense that Genesis, like in its own literature and how it was written, it, it wasn't necessarily made as like a kind of 20th, 21st century scientific document right. In, right. in a way? It wasn't meant to be looked that way. Uh, it uh, could show us something about science in a way, but it wasn't its, its main thing. Like they just weren't... I, that's what I've heard a few times. Is yeah, that... no, and, and, and that's, I guess that's why I'm using the word resonance. What is remarkable in the book in Genesis is that you see uh, a sequence which is not un dissimilar to a sequence that we might argue in science. Yeah. Uh, what we see are things that are, um, uh, uh, they're, they're closer to science. They resonate with science. They're analogous to the science that we might make in terms of measurements. Yeah. Uh, my difficulty is, is when people make that their science, which they do if they say it's exactly six days or it's this or that, mm. that is in your science. And now you have revelatory science coming out of the scripture mm. competing with measurement science. And what it tends to do is actually, it actually tends to deprecate what I think the real point of Genesis is. Mm. And here's God introducing himself. God is the creator. There is no other but God. And everything else is a consequence of his creation. Uh, and that it resonates at all. When that text is nearly three and a half thousand years old, mm. that it resonates at all is absolutely remarkable. And I really feel... As Christians, we should really enjoy that rather than try and uh, make it uh, revelatory science and argue that that must be the way it is mm. and then argue against what can be measured. I, I think that's not a good way to go. Yeah, no, that's that's quite wise, I'd say. Um, so I kind of on a similar type of thinking. Um, mm. I've, I often get the question of, and I still don't quite know how to answer it. I have my very limited knowledge on this type of stuff. But yeah. when it comes to evolution, um, uh, how does, like, particularly evolution of, of the species, that type of idea of um, how to, well, I guess, what's your view on that as, as a Christian? Um, does it, if it is perhaps true, and say, for instance, God guided it, does it make um, humanity any less special or made in the image of God? Like, how do you, how do you navigate uh, evolution as a Christian? 
I think evolution is real. And I think that I would be, um, uh, you know, one, one can look at um, uh, fossil records, uh, one can look at those kind of things, but you've got to understand what people are doing when we talk about evolution. I think sometimes it's people don't frame it correctly, and that's part of the problem, I think. What we do as human beings is the ability to see similarity in things. So if I give you a bunch of leaves from outside, from various garden things, most of us can kind of say, well, this is more like that, and this is more like that, and so on, right? There's a kind of taxonomic approach. And that happens in, in uh, as well. So we can say, well, um, you know, lions and leopards and so on, they have uh, very similar shapes and similar teeth and similar uh, various structures. So in other words, morphologically, we classify these, in, uh, these particular animals, in mm. fact. Now, yeah. now, that gives rise to the idea that, in fact, they are related to each other. And, and evolution is about, about relationship over time. Mm. That's what evolution is about. Yeah. Okay? So the relatedness of those species, when you put them all in different rows, whether you're talking about lynxes or whether you're talking about mountain lions or whether you're talking about the domestic cat, they all have similarities. And indeed, when you look at genetically at them, you, there are similarities genetically. So what you yeah. see externally is there also genetically between them. Yeah. And so you, you, your question then becomes, how are they related to each other? And how is the fact that the Earth, and here's where, where uh, the idea of the Earth being old, uh, that allows time for changes to occur, for mm. successive uh, generations to make changes. And make, uh, understand, however, that it's not a simple linear progression. It's not a simple linear progression like that. That's not how it works. You have diversity. Every generation brings diversity, and diversity allows change. That's the idea behind evolution. Yeah. Okay, so it isn't simply, uh, you know, um, uh, this becomes that, becomes that, becomes that. that. That's the wrong way to think about evolution. Evolution is about every generation creating diversity and within that diversity, certain lines move in particular directions because of circumstances. All right, that's giving you a simple science explanation. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is that to believe that this is simply a product of time plus chance uh, makes it harder. That makes that hard. Yeah. Right? Because I think there's more going on. And so I, as a Christian, would want to argue that God is involved in his universe. Yeah. God is involved in, in uh, the changing of and the diversity uh, of uh, species. God is involved in that. Yeah. So that would be my approach to trying to understand that. Yeah. Um, we can certainly demonstrate that in the laboratory, you can demonstrate uh, how... Uh, you can take bacteria uh, and you can grow them and you can subject them to pathogens and how some of them develop resistance. Yeah. Uh, we can see that happening. 
We can see that happening in breeding horses and in cattle. We can see it in breeding dogs uh, and in cats. We see that selective pressure can be applied. Hmm. And in the same way, uh, science would argue that such selective pressures have existed in the past. And that's why we see changes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the changes uh, don't necessarily mean, you know, when we talk about different species, uh, sometimes people say, um, well, you know, uh, lions aren't tigers. Well, they're not, but they can actually mate. And that's not known often. No, people don't realize that. Mm. Uh, um, that, in, in fact, when we talk about species difference, um, it's a little bit more complex than simply saying that there's some sort of separation. Uh, it's a bit more complex than that. And yep. so all, all I'm saying is that it's, it's, it's uh, um, if time is long, which is what I believe, yeah. uh, changes can occur and those changes um, uh, have occurred uh, and... Um, here we are. Now, that does not mean, for instance, that I don't believe in a real Adam and Eve. Yeah, now can you explain, I, can you explain some of that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I don't actually think that Adam and Eve are necessarily in that continuity of evolution. Yeah, okay. I do think they're a special creation. Yeah. I do think that they actually, they actually understood who God was. Mm -hmm. the Garden of Eden, and I do believe in their disobedience, they were put out to join other anatomically modern humans so that there was already uh, uh, anatomically modern humans outside the garden. Because we don't really have, and I'm throwing this out for you to think about. Yeah, I mean, good. <laughs> there's not gospel. I'm not arguing there's gospel. I'm yeah. just throwing it out to your listeners as well yep. to think about. We don't have the backstory of Satan's fall. Hmm. We don't. That's true. Um, we 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 don't have the fact that he could just lean over the garden wall and be able to talk with uh, with, with Adam and Eve the way he did. Hmm. So we have a whole lot of things that we don't have. What we do know is that Adam and Eve are a creation by God. What we do know is that this made him. Uh, they knew God, therefore the law was something that they knew and therefore sin could be counted, actual sin. doesn't mean that sin didn't exist outside the garden. It did, yeah, but okay. it could be counted because they actually um, uh, disobeyed him and they were put out of the garden to join other humanity. And that's interesting because in the... I think it's chapter 5 in Genesis, something that really strikes you at the end of it when you have a long list of the sons of Adam, basically. Yeah. Um, it comes, uh, it says something like, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's almost as if there's a diffusion of the knowledge of Yahweh into that ancient culture. Yeah. yeah. And that uh, I would want to argue is just, uh, I'm quite flying here, but kind of interesting nevertheless. <laughs> the idea, in fact, that uh, just as um, uh, there's an inclusivity in the death of Jesus for the Gentiles, uh, there's an inclusivity in the fall of Adam and Eve, which allows all humanity to come before him by grace. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking. Anyway, of, I mean, I, 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 this is kind of so out there. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's cool. Um, interesting. Thinking on the. I can't claim that this is right. I'm just yeah. arguing that that uh, for me to make sense out of these fossil records, mm. you have to allow humankind to have existed much longer than Adam and Eve. So would you then, uh, kind of going on the fly a little bit here, but would you say then that the, I guess, world was corrupt um, pre-Adam and Eve then, if there was people... Outside the garden, yes. I would argue outside the garden, yes. Yeah, okay. So the fall, okay, what would be the understanding of the fall then that that came through Adam and Eve and them um, kind of following the enemy... um, and trying to sure. be like God and stuff like that. Sounds yeah. like, from yeah. what you're saying, outside of the Garden of Eden, people had already done that. Um, but so did the fall happen pre that or was it? Uh, the fall is the fall of Adam and Eve. Yeah. You know, they disobeyed God because they knew God. Right. The rest of humanity may not have. So Genesis chapter 1 could well have been a more generic understanding of, of male and female yeah. uh, creation of humankind. Anatomically modern humans go back 150, 170,000 years. Yeah. Definitely, definitely the skulls. Uh, there are homo sapiens skulls that go back that far. And what are you going to do with that? It, uh, they're there unless you say, well, the dating is all wrong. Well, that's hard to substantiate, in fact. Mm. But, 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 you know, so you've got anatomically modern humans, but there's more than that. There are figurines carved in ivory and so forth that go back 30 years, 30,000 years. There are cave paintings uh, in, in France and in very other parts of the world uh, where humankind uh, exists, uh, exists uh, of some sort. Now, you've got to allow that information to work with the information of a real Adam and Eve. Hmm. If there's no real Adam and Eve, then of course it makes it, it makes it very difficult to see. Uh, you know, when we talk about the first Adam and we talk about um, uh, the second Adam, you know, it becomes difficult yeah, to make yeah. sense of that in Romans five. Romans five, however, is talking about uh, that what I see to be that real, uh, uh, if you like, that whole sectioning off of humanity starting in the sense of homo divinus now, if people who are divine who understood, mm. right, uh, that whole area is kind of sectioned off for me right. uh, so that that fits in with the general flow of the surrounding uh, culture. Now, look, that is that is not gospel, and I'm not yeah, yeah. able to, uh, to say, oh, well, you know, he's a heretic after all. Well, maybe <laughs> I am, but the reality, <laughs> the reality is that I've been trying as a scientist to make yeah, some sure. sense uh-huh. out of most of, excuse me, both the fossil record and the reality of a revelation where Adam and Eve figure prominently as important yeah. uh, in the whole story of salvation. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my, no. my go at it, if you like. It may not be right, but it's a go at it. And, yeah. and, and, and not simply discount the fact that humankind doesn't go back that many thousand years. But yeah. We're not Neanderthal. We're not Homo Neanderthalus. We're not. We're Homo sapien. Uh, we're different. Homo Neanderthalus died out, in fact. while They lived at the same time uh, yeah. in Europe. For a little while, but they died out. We're not. We're by the same token. 
it goes back thousands and thousands of years, and how do you make sense of that? Mm. So the only way I can make sense of it is to allow a bit of latitude in a backstory which we don't have, mm. in a fall of Satan which we don't really have much of. Yeah. To maybe uh, uh, what is Isaiah fourteen, Ezekiel twenty eight, and maybe uh, the, the woman and the dragon in Revelation. Um, but it's hard to piece that together in terms of uh, a significant backstory. Is where we are now. I'm, you know, I'm, I acknowledge I'm quite trying, but I'm trying to make some synergy here. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm part of what I'm hearing is like mm. no matter is you keep saying that that's not gospel. It's not kind of. Yeah. It might not be the exact way that no. it happened. No. Um, no. And I think that's an important point to kind of yeah. pick up on. Do you think there's yeah. a a level of diversity, at least to some mm. degree, within? Yeah. Uh, the Christian yeah. faith that we can actually have on these things. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm not, I'm not demanding that people agree. You yeah, know, with my summation here. I guess I'm as a scientist, I'm trying to say, well, you know, I can't walk away from the fossil record. I can't walk away from the age of the Earth. Uh, I can't walk away from evidence of evolution. Uh, I have to acknowledge that. I can't split myself into two and say, well, that's a different area of expertise and therefore it's different to the Bible. I want to have some consistency. Uh, I believe in the authoritative Bible, um, but I also see uh, that it fits in. Uh, it fits into a flow which is broader than that. Mm. Um, you know, one of the problems we have is that the Bible is not only special revelation, but there's also general revelation in the Bible. Mm. So special revelation is knowledge about God, knowledge about his ways, knowledge about his morality, uh, how to come and approach him on his terms. That's The Bible has that very clear, yep. in fact, through his son Jesus. That's clear. But the Bible also has, uh, is set in history. The Bible is also set in cosmology. The Bible is also set... Uh, in a whole lot of other contexts as well, and yep. that's there too. And so we need to allow that to be enhanced, not to deprecate the Bible, but mm. to enhance the Scripture. So my understanding of God and nature has enhanced my understanding of God. And I think our problem is that sometimes... Um, we don't allow the general revelation of the Bible to be enhanced by the things that we can measure. Yeah. And I think that's part of our problem, that when we see general revelation of the Bible, we want to also put that in concrete. Yeah. And I'm a bit concerned that that's not necessarily a good thing, and that as we discover things, as we discover, have knowledge of the past, that we can build out a framework which is much more enhanced than what we actually have uh, recorded within the context of a worldview that they those people had as well. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Um, I'll finish on this before we go to some Q&A, but within oh, right. kind of the what we've been talking about in terms of there's diversity oh. of opinions and on yeah. kind of creation and this type of thing within Christianity, oh. would you say oh. that there are some guiding principles that people should follow when trying to work this stuff out? Because I wouldn't want to say that every single idea is is good. 
when it comes to navigating this kind of topic, I don't think that's what you've said at all either, but you seem to be working with some principles, particularly like, uh, like the biblical revelation and then like revelation that you can find in, uh, in creation. But I wondered if you could kind of give us a little bit of a framework, some principles to work by. Okay. I want to start with an Augustinian statement, which is that all truth is God's truth. So, the scripture correctly interpreted is God's truth. Nature correctly interpreted is also God's truth. God spoke nature into existence. And so in a real world, in a, in a real way, the world that we live in must reflect something of the truth hmm. uh, that, God, that God has put into the very nature and the world that we live in. So if there is tension between what we measure and what we read, then we need to be careful and humble to actually approach that with some care. Mm. The guiding principle is all truth is God's truth. Yeah. Um, and all truth enhances his glory. So as I understand the world that I live in and understand its nature, that enhances his glory. Mm. As I understand the scripture, so it so does that. But the two have an overlap, which is historical. But the overlap is only a, uh, is only marginal, in fact. But there is overlap. Yep. So what we've got to allow in that all truth is God's truth is questions like: Am I interpreting the scripture correctly? Am I reading my science correctly? Mm. Am I, you know, or a bit of both? Yeah. That's where we are. Yep. But. But all truth is God's truth. So therefore, if there are really substantive measurements, then you can't just walk away from them. Mm. Uh, and if there are substantive truths in Scripture, you can't walk away from them either. You know, often people say, well, Frank, you're a bit liberal. And, and I would want to argue back against that. I am not saying that God's morality and God's revelation of himself is at question because mm. that's not sociologically determined. That's not general revelation. That's revelation from God. It's yeah. special revelation. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. argue that I have a certain liberality interpreting uh, uh, interpreting Genesis. Does not mean that therefore I can say, well, there's a liberality in the kind of sexuality that you have, or the immorality that we have, or whatever we might want to might, might want to argue in the modern culture. Yeah. Those are those are fixtures which come because. Uh, and God has revealed that about himself. He has spoken about yeah. this. And that's not sociologically determined. However, when it comes to uh, contextual things, uh, general revelation in which the scripture is also set, uh, I'm willing to allow a bit of latitude not to de deprecate but to enhance yeah. uh, the very word of God that I believe in. I think that's the kind of framework in which I op uh, operate. I don't automatically discount the scripture. That is not what I do. Yeah. Um, but uh, when it comes to certain things like cosmology, I have got to acknowledge that the cosmology of Genesis is not our cosmology. Mm. It's not. It's an ancient cosmology. Mm. And to argue that that cosmology is the same as our cosmology is to argue the same that we might are beginning to culturally, and that is to argue that dream time. Uh, dream time is the same as science astronomy. Hmm. It's not. 
the same kind of problem. Yep. Culturally, it might be interesting, but it's not. It's the same. It's a different kind of problem. It's yep. looking at factual knowledge, scientific knowledge versus uh, cultural derived. Important. It's important. I'm not arguing it's not important, but yep. I am saying when you start to compare, mm. are you comparing cultural knowledge or are you comparing factual knowledge? Yeah, that's really good. Thanks. For, I, I really enjoyed that kind of framework. That's a really cool thing to work with. Mm. Um, thank. Frank, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast where, yeah. where I found that really interesting. I could keep talking all night, I reckon. Um, but we're going to go to some Q&A in a minute. So I'm going to give these guys online and in person about kind of five minutes. Put in, the, uh, put in your uh, questions. You should see a little link up on the behind me there or on the screen. Um, and you can do that anonymously uh, through Slido. Um, so ask any questions that you have for Frank and um, we'll get back to this in uh, about five minutes' time. 